Welcome to Blue Fire's podcast, where we entertain you with tales of famous people you've never heard of. Each week, Steve, Lottie or Linda will guide you through the centuries to shine the spotlight once again on entertainers that history has forgotten. Join us for drama, interviews and the occasional chat over a bottle of wine as we discover that the topics of plague, poverty and overnight stardom are not unique to the 21st century. Today's episode is all about Mari Lloyd, the Queen of Music Hall. And to be sure to celebrate this pint-sized powerhouse properly, we're going to introduce you later to two very special guests. But first, who was Mari Lloyd? Well, Matilda Alice Victoria Wood was born on the 12th of February 1870 in Hoxton, London, the eldest of nine children. Her father was an artificial flower maker who also worked as a waiter at the famous Eagle Tavern Music Hall in Islington. And it was at the Eagle that Mari made her solo debut at the age of 15. Before this, though, she'd formed a singing troupe called the Fairy Bells with her younger sisters. And they entertained in missions and doss houses in the East End of London, performing temperance songs about the dangers of alcohol. Mari's Eagle Tavern debut was under the stage name Bella Della Mare. She was no shrinking violet and had no scruples about using other artists' songs to advance her career. She purloined the song In Those Good Old Days from Jessie Acton and one of her most famous songs, The Boy I Love Is Up In The Gallery, from Nellie Power. This was much more serious than just performing a cover version of a song is today. A successful song could mean weeks of bookings for a singer and they guarded their own songs jealously. The Nellie Power song shot Mari to stratospheric fame almost immediately. When she performed it, she strategically positioned her brother John in the balcony of the theatre with instructions to wave his handkerchief at the appropriate time for dramatic effect, thereby making her version the most memorable. And it wasn't long before she changed her name to something more memorable too. Mari, of course, rhymes with starry, and Lloyd was already familiar to the public, being on matchboxes, soap, newspapers and various other consumer products. Mari had a good eye for marketing and publicity, would likely have made the most of social media if she were around today. As well as her musical turn, Mari performed in pantomimes in her career, including at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. This gave her a guaranteed good level of income for several weeks. At the height of her career, Mari Lloyd was the best paid performer in the country, earning some £11,000 a year. Fortune in those days. Her domestic life, sadly, was not as successful as her career. Having fallen pregnant at the age of 17, she married Percy Courtney, a ticket tout. The marriage wasn't happy, and Mari went back to work as soon as she could after having her baby, Mari Jr., and became the main breadwinner. Percy was a violent drunk and resentful of his dependency on his wife. He was the cause of several ugly scenes backstage at various theatres and eventually sued Mari for divorce when she began an affair with the singer Alec Hurley. Alec was a support turn to Mari both in the UK and on a tour of the USA. He too resented Mari's star status and felt that his career was being sidelined by her and he turned to drink. Mari then began an affair with the jockey Bernard Dillon, with whom she lived as Mrs Dillon. Hurley, who by all accounts was a jolly decent chap, 
began divorce proceedings, but he died before this could be finalised. Dylan and Mari, in the meantime, had been refused entry to America because they were travelling as husband and wife without being married. He was charged under the White Slave Act and Mari was charged with being a passive agent. Subsequently, they were granted entry on condition that they lived apart and they officially married in Portland, Oregon. But Mari also suffered physical violence at the hands of Dylan and in 1920, they were divorced. Mari toured nationally. She toured worldwide with great success in Paris and not such a warm welcome in America. At heart, Mari and her act belonged to London. Due to the risque nature of that act, she was not invited to perform at the first ever Royal Command performance. Although deeply wounded by the snub, Miss Lloyd was not one to take such insults lying down, declaring, Every one of my performances is a command performance by order of the British public. She rented the London Pavilion Theatre for a night, same night as the Royal Command performance, of course, and played to a sold-out audience. In 1919, she first sang what's possibly her most enduring and recognisable song, Don't Dilly Dally on the Way. But she was snubbed again by the Royal Command Performance Committee, and her physical and mental health were in decline, as were her finances. Despite earning a comparative fortune, Mari had been overly generous to her family and friends and always lived beyond her means. By 1920, her finances and health were declining in equal measure, and by 1922, she'd moved in with her sister in order to save money. It was during this time that she collapsed on stage, whilst singing I'm one of the ruins that Cromwell knocked about a bit, which was to the amusement of the audience, who thought it was all part of the act. It was far from a funny episode, but Mari was determined to keep working. The following week, she was found in severe pain in her dressing room at the Alhambra Theatre. She died of kidney and heart failure three days later at the age of 52. Mari Lloyd's funeral was attended by at least 40 and probably closer to 100,000 people, and the floral tributes took four hours to unload. But Mari herself had died penniless. Shortly after the funeral, the author T.S. Eliot wrote, Among the small number of musical performers whose names are familiar to what is called the lower class, Mari Lloyd had far the strongest hold on popular affection. To discover more about the woman behind the legend, we chatted last year to Marie Kelly, the actress who has played Mari several times, and the writer Midge Gillis, author of the definitive biography, Mari Lloyd, The One and Only. Name's Mari Lloyd from now on. I'll be singing a couple of songs tonight. Well, I came over from Ireland with a theatre company in uh, 1986, and uh, we started a... Uh, Played in the old Vic, so one could say I started at the top and I'm working way down. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I've worked in theatre uh, in London and on the continent, all around the country, um, radio, television, and uh, I play the Irish harp. 
And the interest in Mary Lloyd came because of Catapult Theatre Company, which we started through the Kent branch of Equity. A group of us got together and uh, we thought, well, we're all working um, in Kent. Let's do something within Kent. And this was about our fourth production on the halls because we decided, um, and Lindsay Wickens and I were looking at various uh, material that we could use for different shows because we like to produce new work all the time so uh, we were looking at Ma- Mary Lloyd and Vesta Tilly kept coming up all the time so uh, we did lots of research and uh, actually I must mention Doreen Hermitage in this because Doreen sadly has passed away and Doreen was, was one of the first people that I asked for help bec- through the British Musical Society and she was absolutely marvellous pointing me in the right direction for uh, obscure material because we wanted to do a wide sweep of what uh, both Mary Lloyd and Vesta Tilly were doing. So we didn't want to just sing the ordinary, normal songs. We wanted to give a wide range for the career. And uh, also through uh, Equity, who let me into their archives, bless them, so I could get hold of the 1906 musical dispute because there was a transcript of what Mary Lloyd had actually said. So that was the start. You see, um, I did a degree in history as well. So it's combining um, history with um, my love of music and uh, there was a wide as you know there's a wide sweep of musical from the very lyrical to the point numbers so it, it encompassed everything and we got Michael Thomas wonderful playwright to put the whole thing together so he wrote on the halls for us and uh, it uh, played in the West End and we're now going to do a pared down version because we want to take it to festivals around the country with a sort of a three woman um, show. So Mari Lloyd, um, what is the fascination with her? It's it's quite interesting to sort of happen upon these people by accident. Uh, I know what that's like. I've done that myself. But uh, you kind of get under the skin a little bit after a while, don't you? And there's so much with Mari Lloyd. But what is it that actually appeals uh, I think that she was a pioneer in her own right, and she was uh, a woman in a man's world. She knew that she had to get on and do it. She loved performing. There was uh, obviously that was you know her raison d'être and why she went on for so long. I did. Um, she's a fascinating character, and the fact that she was. Uh, her personal life was extremely flawed as well. So she took risks that uh, sometimes paid off and sometimes didn't. And uh, I I found myself doing that quite a lot. (laughs) And sometimes the risks pay off and sometimes they don't. Uh, She she was kind of disastrous in her private life. I think she found uh, these dangerous men exciting and then it all backfired. And the one that she should have stayed with obviously bored her and she got rid of him. So... (laughs) Uh, that's and, and the fascination from the way that her repertoire changed throughout her career as well. Almost she started very young, didn't she? She did. She was fifteen. She was fifteen, but she was really singing temperance songs since she was ten because you know she she was uh, in the local uh, church and singing there, and she also put on little shows for her siblings and included her siblings in uh, in the shows as well at home so she really was starting performing from a very young age and the when you say that the style of song changed um temperance songs are quite different from what she 
became known for when she was being banned by the Lord Chamberlain's office. <laughs> she was just very suggestive in what she... I, I suppose it's you can change a song in any way that you like, depending on the way that you sing it, because the words of a lot of the songs were very innocent, but it depends on the way that you interpret the lyric. And is that something that you've had quite a lot of fun with whilst you've been performing? Actually, reading through the lyrics again, I'm thinking, I've missed a few here. It's funny because um, I think one of my favourite songs is I'm a Good Girl Now. And you won't know this because she was sang it just after the First World War. And she's talking about, you know, I've been a waff, I've a whack, I've been a wren, I've done my bick like all the men at driving cars, I'm not a dunce. At driving, I've been lucky, had a puncture only once. And that's true because she was only pregnant once. <laughs> <laughs> There's a line in that particular song, I'll carry on till I get carried off. And that's exactly what happened to her in her career, I'll carry on till I get carried on because she literally collapsed on stage and died a couple of days later. Her husband, the number three, who had um, been banned from going near her, had clattered her around the head and uh, she she collapsed on stage and a couple of days later died. Goodness. So she had a, a real track record in choosing unworthy men didn't she I mean her taste she got pregnant the first one she got pregnant at a very young age with Percy Courtney hence Mary Lloyd Jr and uh, I think she had a miscarriage shortly afterwards as well so when people were ill in the theatre it generally meant they were either having a baby or having a miscarriage and uh, she didn't have any children that we know of um, after that uh she got divorced from Courtney because he started beating her up when he was drinking and he was also betting on the horses. And incidentally, again, it was horse racing. Bernard Dillon, her third husband, was a champion jockey, Irish, um, and also a drinker and by all accounts, uh, a deserter as well during the uh, First World War. So she had her fair share. And then husband number two was Alec Hurley, who was also a music hall star and a singer and, by all accounts, a really nice man. And the the other constant in her life, I suppose, was her manager, George Ware, who... Ah, yes, yes. you want to bring up Georgie. Yes, OK. Yeah. Now, I think George Ware is a very clever cove indeed because I know that you've been playing Nellie Power. Now, I have. I've got my own views on George. Yes. <laughs> Now, George wrote the song, uh, The Girl, uh, The Boy I Love Is Up In The Gallery. And um, first of all, he gave it to Nellie Power, and he was her agent as well. And I think that he probably, he, he knew what he was doing. I think he probably gave it to Mary Lloyd as well, because she was only 15 when she sang the song. And yes, she was a bit feisty, but I think that, you know, she was probably manipulated and he was probably on to let's see who makes this song you know work for me and the bad thing about it really is that because the singers had to buy their songs so I'm sure that Nelly uh bought the song from George first so uh it, just looking at all the, the the details because George Belmont first of all was Mari's agent and then um she reneged on some sort of contract but George Ware seemed to have been behind that as well because he became her manager so it, it all seems to just sort of looking between the lines as if um he was literally trying to back uh, the winning horse 
and uh, he, he had rather a sort of a checkered career himself because he was um, a singer who could sing in three different voice ranges. Was it? I know. I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He um, he could sing tenor and he could sing bass and also could sing alto. I think maybe it was just the timbre of the voice because uh, lots of people can sing sort of very high and very low, but they, they generally sort of settle in one tessitura. Mm. So from a technical point of view, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think, he, again, he was out. It, 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 it's, it's a hard life and they're out to make a, a living out of it. And uh, it's not an easy business, as you know. No, and he was obviously a, a sharp operator. So did, did he stay with Mari and, until the end of her career? Percy Courtney was managing it for a while as well. Oh, yes. So really, and, and then if she went to um, America, that, that would be arranged through the agents over there as well. So there were various different managers throughout her career. Because she did a couple of tours of America, didn't she? Um, and... I've read that some of her material didn't go down terribly well because of the the Cockney idiom. Um, I I think they liked everybody to be nice and demure and sweet in America. They had sort of, uh, I suppose in in a way, I mean, the West End of uh, London preferred Mary Lloyd to the East End because... They wanted to be more upright in the East End. I know it sounds a bit crazy, but that's exactly the way it was. The, the material went down better in the West End. Um, and the Americans just, they liked to go to the theatre. It was a genteel um, outing for the family. So her portrayal of some of her songs was not really what they wanted to see. Whereas Alice, her sister, went down really, really well. Ah, yeah, and and that would explain why she was such a big hit in Paris, I suppose, because oh, yes. Moulin Rouge and all that they would have loved her. Oh, anything always went in France anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and and she was known, wasn't she, as the, the queen of the music halls? Um, and uh, and I know that she she had great wealth and she died in relative poverty. And and, and I've heard all these lovely stories actually about how. Um, how generous she was. Um, she was, yes. I mean, very few people were going to stand up for musical artists in 1906. And Mary Lloyd, I mean, some people were doing three turns a night and getting paid a pittance. So she gave away a lot of her earnings and was very generous. And when she died, I mean, the, the people just lined the streets. But she really didn't look to the future that much. I suppose you didn't. You never knew where the next money was coming from anyway. But she was fairly secure up until, I would say, the end of the First World War. And then when Bernard started knocking her around and her career was declining and not getting as many engagements it's a tough one, really. I mean, you, you, you can squirrel away all your earnings and, and uh, be on your own. Um, but for her, I think she loved her audience. Um, she would perform at the drop of a hat and she liked people and she liked helping people. She was a good sort. Because of the, the name she had and the, and the clout, to want for a better word, um, it was really admirable, I think, of her to get so involved in that musical strike because she didn't need to. She was earning the money, wasn't she? Oh, absolutely. She was. I mean, it, she, she knew that if she didn't do something about it, that uh, nobody would. 
Mm. And uh, she paid the price of the music hall strike as well because she didn't get invited to the first Royal Variety performance. Vesta Tilly did. The managers all, she got a backlash from it, really. Which was which was very sad. Which you mean goes to to show that sometimes when you do stand up for people, you are going to pay the price for it. And did um did, did Mari Junior go on to follow in Mother's footsteps? She was performing, I think, right into the sixties. Oh wow! Yeah. So and actually doing her mother's songs as well as her own. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was more. I think she was more uh, surviving on her mother's memory, from what I can glean. And I don't think she had any children either. She did get married, but I don't think she had any children. So for the people who are listening who, heaven forbid, don't know who Maru Lloyd was, they obviously now know a lot more about her. Um, what would you say was sort of her, her most famous song? Oh, goodness. Uh, almost a porter, probably. Um, when I take my morning promenade, Twiggy-Voo, there were so many. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's fascinating that there are so many that would have probably been really big, famous songs then that haven't survived. Um, you know, as you were saying, they, they used to buy their songs and everyone was identified with the song, but um, lots of them just haven't stood the test of time, have they? I mean, something like um, she sits among the cabbages and leeks, <laughs> meaning the vegetables, of course, but <laughs> can be interpreted in many ways was, was something that I found. I love that story. I, I don't think it's true, but I love it. When someone complained about her sitting amongst the cabbages and leeks, she changed it to she sits amongst the cabbages and peas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she had to have her ticket punched. <laughs> yes. Oh, we could go on. <laughs> But it was a way of sustaining your career. If you were no longer an ingenue, you had to have something else, you know, and humour was one way to do this. Absolutely. And she had to be a supreme actress as well, because when you think about it, not everybody can time that sort of thing so well. And even with a look to create that atmosphere in a hall, because you, you listen to a recording and you think, well, what's funny about that but if you actually see the performance mm. you can see what's going on yes absolutely and and that some of those concert halls were huge as well weren't they I mean, she'd be playing to what two three thousand people sometimes yeah. so you had to throw your voice you mm. really had to throw your voice gosh no microphones but no microphones after that sort of experience because you're using the full force of your body to get the sound out you have to be like an athlete, honestly. I mean, somebody once said to me that uh, being a performer was ten um, percent uh, talent and ninety percent, uh, you know, just perseverance. Yes, I think so. <laughs> the sprinkling of stamina thrown in. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, when you're actually playing Mari Lloyd, do you uh-huh. find that you, your your gestures are bigger and everything you do is that little bit coarser in in real life as well? Do you take her home with you? I don't take her home with me. No, I don't take her home with me. She she uh, she appears on the stage. She appears beforehand, just as I'm preparing for it. But if you take her around all the time, that then it's not you. Otherwise, you, you don't become you. And you, I, I mean, I perform other things as well. So she's 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 one facet of my performing career. So she's she's kept in the box with the feather boas. I'll tell you one thing, when I am performing, I lose weight. It's wonderful because it's such stamina that they had to 
you know, endure really. And when you think about it, we're lucky. We don't have to jump in a cab and go to three different music halls every single night and uh, make sure that your turn is there for your 20 minutes and then you go off and you go somewhere else. It was a hard life, wasn't it? It was a very hard life. And if you caught a cold, I mean, it was very drafty changing in those places. And they they didn't have the medicines that we have today. Lots of people just... uh, you know, succumbed to to colds and chests and uh, all sorts of different uh, illnesses. It's particularly, I think TB was was quite prevalent, mm. around, and bronchitis. A lot of the stars died of really. Yes, if she you... was lucky, she survived that long. But she, <laughs> she did have a bit of a drink problem. <laughs> oh, did she? <laughs> she 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 liked her champagne, shall we say? <laughs> Well, don't we all, Marie? Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. I'm glad she kept the standards up. <laughs> and, and I'm I going think... to ask you a question now. I'm going yeah. to ask you about um, Nellie and Mari. Do you know if they ever performed on the same bill together? Do you know, I don't think they did um, because they, they were almost a generation apart. Yes. Um, yeah. um, um, they've certainly played at the same theatres. And they must have bumped into each other because they, they both lived near each other as well, so in the Islington area. Um, so I doubt very much that they, their paths didn't cross, but I also doubt that they were best mates. <laughs> Although there is a lovely yeah. story that, uh, and, and again, who knows if it's true, I like to think it's true, that when uh, Nellie got to hear about the, the song being half-inched, um, she did say, oh, just let her have it. <laughs> So, which I'm not sure um, was because she was being generous or because she just couldn't be bothered to argue with someone who was 15 and probably lose out because the, the young little innocent would win that fight every time, I think. Because the, the other thing that I came across recently, because the, the other thing is I, during lockdown, I've been reading lots of detective stories and I read one recently um, called The Adventures of uh, Maud West, which was based on the truth story of the real live detective who was actually in the same building as um, Belle Elmore, um, who also comes into the stories all around that Belle Elmore was uh, Mrs. Crippen. Yes. Yes. So they all must have been around at the same time in the same area in Holborn. So it's all fascinating. I'm sure they all knew each other because it's a small world even today, but um, it would have been even smaller then. Everybody Gosh, would have yes. known everybody. Yeah, and, and there is um, there is a quote that's attributed to, to Mari Lloyd, isn't there? I can't remember exactly what it is about Belle Elmore. She, she, she says, let her in, boys, with her singing. She lent you the theatre in no time. And I, I do know for a fact that my Nelly performed with Vesta Tilly. Yes. Um, and yes. Vesta was Nelly's understudy. That's our claim to fame. Esther Tilly had a, a lot of female admirers and male admirers as well for her songs. I don't think Mari had particularly many female admirers to be No, quite. I'm sure she didn't. <laughs> Although they were, if you look at the photos of her funeral, the 40,000 people who turned out, the lots of them were women. So probably just making sure she'd gone. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, or beneficiaries of her charities. And yes, like yes, yes, yeah. very possibly. Yeah, Because, I mean, the big thing about the strike was they were saying that the managers were trying to sign the performers to restrictive contracts and then put them up from extra matinees without payment, 
would have resonated with, you know, right through the country. So she did something very special there. Oh, thank you so much, Marie. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I do any chance to have a chat about Nelly is great, but um, the, the real background on the real Marie Lloyd, who isn't anywhere near as bad as I paint her, um, it's just it's really nice to 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 hear about. Quickly before we go, um, I, I know you're also involved in sort of um, running a youth theatre as well, aren't you? Yes, I'm the artistic director of Dover Youth Theatre. Mm-hmm. We're working with the University of Kent, something we were meant to do earlier on this year, uh, Gateways to the First World War, their final um, lecture concert, would have been about um, the poets of the First World War, Here Dead We Lie, and the students are going to record by Zoom some of the poetry which is great. And that was actually going to be performed in public in front of a live audience in April, but we've had to postpone it and hopefully we'll do it over the next couple of weeks once we get back in. Oh, excellent. Well, keep us posted and we'll um, hopefully, if it's going out on, online, we can send some links out for you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So welcome to our little podcast episode on Mari Lloyd, the wonderful Midge Gillis, who, to my mind, wrote the definitive biography on Mari, certainly where I got all my information from. Um, but as well as knowing about Mari Lloyd, she's also written a biography of Amy Johnson, um, the female pilot, and teaches creative writing at the University of Cambridge's Institute of Continuing Education. Now, um, Hello, Midge. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, now, you've obviously got a big interest in, in history um, mm. and, and in strong women as well and pioneers. Um, so what actually drew you to, to Mari Lloyd? Well, um, a long time ago, I wanted to write about women and how women, I think, are funny in different ways. And that was the book I wanted to write. And when I started to do the research, I came across Murray Lloyd. And she'd only been a kind of very vague name in my head before then. Um, And then doing the research and discovering what a huge star she was, how she'd been married three times, um, toured the world, been to America, South Africa, Australia, France. Um, and had this huge zest for life and been quite naughty. Um, I thought, what an amazing woman. And I I love writing about women who do things that terrify me. Plus the fact that she did that without the kind of modern PA system that we'd be aware of today. And that she was quite a little person and um, performing to these huge halls just made me think, I need to know more about this person. That is really interesting because I know one of the, the first things that struck me about her was that she was tiny. But she was a real powerhouse, wasn't she? And and in the, those halls at the time, if you didn't sort of grab everyone's attention within 20 seconds, then the, that, that was it. They would start throwing things. So um, she's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And I think that um, I grew up um, watching the, the good old days on TV. I don't oh. know if you remember that. I do. Um, <laughs> and which kind of I, I liked because it was fun and you heard some nice songs. But I think it did a a big uh, disservice to the the genuine music hall because it was much tougher to try and perform in those kinds of um, environments. And um, you would go along and maybe play five or six halls a night. And in London, 
that meant um, tearing around in quite dangerous areas. So at a time when Jack the Ripper was on the prowl. So it was a really kind of threatening place for a young woman um, to be going to, although very exciting, I'm sure. Um, and also at the time, it, there wouldn't have been electricity. So it would have been very kind of um, fusty and warm to perform on stage. So people would have been smoking if they didn't like your act, then they'd throw things at you. In the worst case scenario, it'd be a dead cat, or it might be um, bottles or nuts. So a really kind of um, daunting thing to do. So um, that was one of the things that made me think she must have been quite a, a special person to enjoy doing that kind of performance. Yes. And what do you think made her want to do it in the first place? Because it, it must have been a really daunting atmosphere to actually launch herself in. And she was so young when she started. I think she was a born show off. Um, you know, she she used to take her um, sisters along and they would pretend to be mourners at the graveside. So I think she just, you know, was one of those people who was born into show business and loved the thrill of people looking at her and making people laugh. And she was a very warm person. So I think she kind of craved being in the limelight. And I think she was a, a genuine person. She liked to try and help people. Um, there were always people waiting at the stage door when she came out and she was notorious for being overly generous. So she earned a lot of money, but she gave a huge amount of money away. Um, and I think she was um, more so than other musical performers. She stayed true to her roots and never wanted to be um, in a, a higher class. So I think people loved her for that as well, because she was a kind of true East End woman. And her, her whole act was based around that as well, really, wasn't it? It was that cheeky Cockney called Blimey, twinkle in the eye type thing. Yeah, and she had lots of different types that she would play and they changed, obviously, as she got older. So when she was um, a teenager in, in her early 20s, she was, um, you know, her skirts were quite short and she knew how to um, to prance around the, the stage and be quite daring. And in the older um uh, playbills and song sheets she does look very attractive um, in quite a saucy way and then as she became more matronly she adopted more of a kind of knowing act um, and she was almost um, in cahoots with the audience so she would just by her famous wink or nod would let on that we both knew what she was talking about those lyrics might look very clean on the page but she was putting a lot of extra innuendo into them and she had a track record of bad choices with husbands didn't she she and did yes so do you think that was some kind of self-destruct button or or again the, the the thrill of something that's a bit more exciting and she would have been bored with someone not so inappropriate um, well, I don't know. I mean, she got married for the first time um, when she was quite young um, and because she was pregnant. Um, and unfortunately, he was very violent towards her. So I think that was just kind of, you know, a mistake of youth. Um, her second husband, Alec Hurley, was lovely, um, another musical performer. But perhaps she she did want a kind of exciting life. Um, and her third husband, uh, Bernard Dillon, was a champion jockey and a lot younger than her. And they were actually um, went together to America. And she was quite open about the fact when the reporters met her by telling them that they said, well, we couldn't find your name. She said, oh, well, that's because, you know, I was in the same room as um, Bernard Dillon. Um, and she was held for moral turpitude because she was um, ahead of her time again and being quite open about um, 
enjoying that kind of physical side of life. Um, and I think she, she lived life at a, a tearing pace um, and she was always going to be on to the next person. And she, I think she wanted a certain person who was going to make her feel young um, and that she was on the edge of things the whole time. Uh, so uh, definitely life in the fast lane for her. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And and you were saying she was you know, generous and she I believe she ended up giving most of her money away, didn't she? By, by default, she wasn't wealthy when she died at all. No, she was, it was very sad because she was towards the end. She was struggling. Um, and it was at the t- a time, 1922, when musical was kind of waning slightly. So her star wasn't as high as it had been, but she had to keep performing because she needed the money even though physically she was in quite poor shape. And if you look at photos of her costume and her act, um, when she it turned out to be her final act, she just looks like um, she's in her 80s and she wasn't. She was in her 50s um, and she looks just terribly worn down and thin. Um, and, you know, you think she shouldn't actually have been performing in that kind of physical state. Oh, that's, that's such a shame. Obviously, she mm-hmm. she needed to because um, there, there wasn't any choice, was there? No, no. no. Um, and she, because of the type of, of act, she didn't transition into the into the movies because I think at that time a few music hall turns were able to do that if their acts were more sort of physical. But I suppose the songs didn't work with the silent movies. Uh, no, um, I, I can't see her doing anything other than the halls, really. Oh. Um, and that was what that was her bread and butter, what she knew. And also, I think she kind of needed to be in the same room as her audience. So she fed off the way they responded to her. And obviously, you don't get that if you're in a movie. So it, it was the wrong time for her. Um, you know, perhaps if she'd been um, born a lot later, she would have been um, on TV and she might have enjoyed that in a different way. Mm. I, th- I can see her being the queen of social media, actually. <laughs> yes. She's around now. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, yes, posting things she shouldn't post to without thinking about it, yes. But that's right, and front page of Hello Magazine and yes, that stuff, yes. 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 And did she actually make any records of the recordings of her? Yes, um, there are a few. Um, and actually, I've got a CD uh, with a collection of her songs. And, that, that you know, the quality is not great, but it is lovely to hear her. And occasionally you can hear her speaking voice, which is really thrilling. So there's one where at the very end she says um, something like, uh, yeah, last verse again, boys, or something um, to, to the orchestra. And it's absolutely thrilling because suddenly she's a real person because she didn't leave. Um, I found two letters um, from her in a New York um, archive. But apart from that, she wasn't the kind of person who wrote diaries or letters because she lived for the moment. So really her her heritage is her songs um, and the songs that were written for her. So I think you have to go back and really study the lyrics. And there are so many songs that she she wrote and they don't um, they don't really stand the test of time because we can't see the innuendo in them. And they were written for the kind of topics of the moment. So, you know, she might be writing about a soldier in khaki or it's funny. Or there's one line having uh, having your furlough cut short, which suddenly <laughs> we understand. But yes, it, that means something now. Yeah. Yes. But for her, having your furlough cut short was something, you know, something quite different again there, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, about railways, which um, were very exciting at the time and um, had the potential to be in a carriage with strangers. And we don't really understand 
we've forgotten unless we watch an old movie what it was like to be on a train and that you did have the the potential to be in one of those little cabins with um someone that you might suddenly have some interaction with which might be quite exciting Oh, yes. Well, they used to have closing doors in the, between the carriages and everything, yes, didn't they? Yes, yes. Yeah, and lots corridors. of potential there. Yes. <laughs> Much potential for a new book, I think. <laughs> a romantic novel. Yes. <laughs> and uh, talking of new books, is Mari going to feature in your, your latest? I think you're writing a, a biography of Piccadilly Circus, aren't you? Y- yes, I am. So um, I... I I've been looking for a new way to write about her because it's been a, a way a time since I've written about her. So I'm I'm writing a biography of Piccadilly Circus. So looking at the the buildings there and the stories uh, attracted to them. So I'm going to be writing about the pavilion and she did perform at the pavilion. So um, it seems like a good excuse to shoehorn her in there and talk about um, things like why she wasn't invited to the first Royal Command performance and about the music hall strike. So I think um, it's a, a good chance to maybe reintroduce her to people who haven't heard of her or have forgotten about her. So I'll be doing my best to um, yeah, write about her again. Oh, that's that's super. Because I think she really was a, a trailblazer, wasn't she? Especially with things like the music hall strike. She didn't need to get involved in that, um, but she did. Yes. Yeah, I think she was um, in lots of ways. I mean, she w- she wouldn't have understood the term feminist, or probably not cared for it, really. But she was she was her own woman and wasn't um, afraid to stand up and say things. So, you know, other musical performers would toe the line and and hope to get into a polite society that way. She wasn't bothered by that at all. So I love the fact that she was such a free spirit. And do you think that was because she was so successful and she had sort of the, the- the clout to be able to do that or or do you think it's because she was just a free spirit and she would she would have said it all anyway and stood up for her rights and etc I, I think she would have said it anyway and she didn't she didn't really um think ahead too much so she was very spontaneous um and I think she kind of knew what was right and uh, just followed her heart a lot of the time which um you could occasionally be disastrous um, and she wasn't very good at kind of playing games with um, the bigger syndicates and so for example she didn't do terribly well in the states because she didn't realize that there were certain it was a different audience Um, so for example her sister Alice was much more successful in the states than Mari was and um, Mari's whole persona was about um, being a Londoner and um, in the States, they didn't really understand that. They didn't understand what she was trying to do. And they were baffled by her innuendo. And um, again, when I was doing the research for the book, I saw lots of comments by the um, the music hall um, syndicates talking about her and saying that, you know, she was um, a, a bit too strong in her language and in her approach to, to entertainment. So she was very much a kind of um, British phenomenon. A bit sort of uh, carry-on movies for an earlier generation. Yeah, no, it, well, it's funny talking about her now, you know, um, with the passing of Barbara Windsor, um, because they, you know, they had a lot in common, really. And I think um, Mari um, was someone who everyone felt they knew personally. And um, when she died, um, about 100,000 people came to her funeral. And one woman walked all the way from Newmarket in Suffolk to um, see her passing in North London. And it, it reminded me of when Diana, Prince of, of Wales, died and the funeral then. 
because mm-hmm. the, the, the um, funeral processions passed one another. Um, and I think that they were, they, those women both had the same appeal. Um, and when Mari died, the, the taps in the pubs in Leicester Square were draped in black and people um, lined the streets to, to say goodbye to her. And there were huge floral tributes. So I think that um, she was someone who um, belonged to the people, really. She was um, really a one-off, I think. Yes, and and we're, we're talking today, which is the, the day after the announcement that uh, Dame Barbara Windsor has sadly mm. left us. Um, and she actually played Mari Lloyd on stage, didn't she? Yes, yes. And again, I think that was perfect, really, because oh. of their kind of similar backgrounds and quite petite women as well. And a lot of, um, you know, guts and um, not taking any nonsense. So I think she was, um, you know, it's, it's very fitting that she did play Mari. Yeah, I agree. But both very generous and uh, and warm-hearted people as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wish I'd seen that show, but there you are. Yes, yes. (laughs) I suppose the other thing is about, you know, she was um, a huge star and it's quite interesting that her third husband, Bernard Dillon, was a champion jockey and they were race... um, Horse racing and musical are quite interesting worlds because they're, they're both worlds where you can make a lot of money and rise up the ranks if you come from quite a humble background. So from a kind of social history point of view, that I think that's quite interesting. And, and I think um, I might be wrong here, but I think they're both sort of fields where outsiders are welcome. Yes, yes, that that's a good point, um, and and a very kind of topsy turvy world as well. That so, um, Mari would you know do her performance and then not be able to be on such a high that she couldn't um, go to bed or get to sleep. And her husband Bernard Dillon was um, someone who, as a champion jockey, was an athlete really. So he was very worried about not putting on weight. And she, you know, just ate and drank as much as she wanted. Um, and they did go to places like Romano's, the restaurant together. And it, yeah, it was a place where you had different um, social classes mixing. Um, and they were both, yes, as you say, I think, areas that would welcome all sorts of people, but also be very competitive as well. Yes, yes. And that uh, must have been quite interesting. I know he, he wasn't the best husband in the world by, by any means. And I wonder how much of that was down to unhealthy competition yeah and it i mean i'm not making any excuses for him because he again was violent towards her but it must have been quite difficult for someone to at a time when women didn't really go out and perform and if they did they were often seen as being you know the equivalent to a a prostitute so it must have been very difficult for him to be married to someone who was in the public eye and very successful and at a time when his his career was on on the slide slightly as well so those two big egos um, clashing together, I think, must have been, well, a disastrous um, recipe for a marriage, really. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we, we do see it quite a lot. I think that that's the other thing, isn't it? People in the public eye, they it's a natural thing that they gravitate towards other people in the public eye. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's the, the one thing that they do both understand. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I think probably on both sides, their friends could see that it was um, not going to work. Um, but you, you, neither of them were the sort of people that you could kind of take them to one side and say, I think you should reconsider this. So, you know, they, they were quite impe- impetuous, both of them. So on that, that jolly note of uh, strength and independence, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. It's, um, it's, it's been great chatting to you. 
um uh, I, I love learning more about all these people and um, mm. you, know, you, you kind of think you you know stuff and then you you don't do you but well I well I think you know everyone is um different depending on who who is looking into their, their life so there might be something I'm interested in and I'm sure there are different aspects of Mari that appeal to you too so I mean that's part of her her star quality I think yeah, part of her charm. And uh, I would thoroughly recommend your book, which um, is, I, I get it out every so often for just to, <laughs> to have a little dip in. And then oh, I think I'm just going to read a bit more of this. And I, I just do. So oh. it's Marie Lloyd, the, the one and only, isn't it? That's it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> and uh, when is the, the Piccadilly Circus book Ooh. coming out? So I have to uh, deliver the manuscript at the end of next year, so it'll be the following year, which is 2022, I think. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Famous People You've Never Heard Of. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review and subscribe so that other people can find us more easily and you'll never miss an episode. If you'd like to support our work, it's easy to do. Just go to www.patreon.com bluefiretheatre and don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.